Welcome back from spring break. It's so good to be here together with you. And as we gather together in community worship this day, it's a treat. I hope you had a great, restful, rejuvenating, fun spring break and, and Holy Week, a wonderful, rich time of remembering Jesus' death and resurrection for us. In, in my church, we say uh, he is risen, and the response is he is risen indeed. Since we didn't, didn't do it on Sunday, maybe let's do it together now. He is risen. Well done. I like hearing that. That's excellent. My, my children make it nice and loud. That's why I like it. Hey, a couple quick things for uh, announcements. Number one, there are a bunch of student leadership opportunities going on right now for next year. The campus worship for Hosanna and for the campus, uh, for the uh, Tuesday, Thursday campus worship, those sign-ups and applications are in the back, back there. The awake coordinator positions, there are two of those. That the applications are open on Wit Witnet. We'd love for you to sign up or if you're interested in that. In the third one, a new position, there's now, as of just yesterday, really, an ASWU spiritual life uh, coordinator position. That's a, a person who is in ASWU, but it's a representative to help uh, just in general promote the spiritual wellness of students on campus and be a bridge between campus ministry and ASWU. An exciting position that's open, the uh, application is open online right now. So if you're interested in something, being a part of that, uh, check it out. Second thing is there's uh, all kinds, of, as always, we're with great things going on. There's an interfaith dialogue tonight at 7 o'clock with an LDS bishop. Uh, so check that out. And then lastly, there are always we always uh, need communion servers. So uh, for Thursday worship, if you'd like to be a part of that and serve in that way, that would be wonderful. As we, as we continue in worship, let's pray together, and, uh, and then we'll be excited to hear Beck uh, open up scriptures for us. Lord God, thank you. We thank you for this amazing privilege of gathering together in worship today, remembering that you are God and that we are not, and receiving the amazing gift of the freedom that we are not, God, but you are. We rejoice in Jesus' death and resurrection for us, that sin and death and evil have been conquered, that we are forgiven and free, that you are going to make this world new, that we are your children. And Lord, we do pray for this world that is in, in deep need of being made new, of, of deep need of knowing the freedom from sin and death and evil. We pray for this broken world, for your light and life, for Jesus, your powerful reign to be known in word and deed near and far. We thank you for this gift of hearing your scripture open to us. Would you open our ears to hear, give us eyes to see as Beck preaches and bless him that his words may be the words of life as we look to you, the one true God who is living and active, speaking to us even now in Jesus and by your spirit. We welcome your words for us this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Beck. Thank you, Forrest. Welcome back. Julie and I and the family held down the fort last week while you all were gone, um, but we're grateful to see all of you here. Um, how many of you got to go home for Easter? Um, we're with family. That's great. It's wonderful to be with family. How many of you were traveling with friends to their homes or other parts? Of how many of you were in Thailand? Ah, oh, a few of you. I don't know if you know what time it is right now. I'm impressed. I know we had students all over the globe. We had students on ministry trips in Jamaica and other places. Uh, wherever you were uh, last week during spring break and Holy Week, we certainly want to welcome you back. Um, 
Forrest is fond of showing pictures of his family, so I thought I would show one of mine on Easter morning. So this is our family uh, celebrating together. Um, it's increasingly rare that all of us get together these days. Uh, my son, Zach, who's standing right next to me, is a sophomore at Belmont University, and he came home with his girlfriend, Sarah, and then standing together there are Julie and Lauren, and then our youngest, Chloe. So we just had a marvelous time of worship together, and um, it's just a blessing to have our family together anymore. And so uh, uh, for those of you who did get to spend it with family, I'm grateful that you, that you did. Um, who are my seniors in the house? Any graduating seniors? Eight weeks, if, in case you were wondering. <laughs> eight weeks. Not that, not that I'm counting or anything, but eight, eight weeks. I'm especially prayerful for you all. Um, and uh, we'll certainly be uh, praying for you as you conclude your journey here at Whitworth uh, over these next couple of months. How many of you are paying attention to March, March Madness? Any basketball fans? How are your brackets doing? Mine are not so good. I've got two of the final four left, but I picked Kansas to win the whole thing. So I'm done, I think. Um, but, uh, you know, Forrest preached on Peter's denial of Christ on the Tuesday before break. And given that everybody's kind of got their minds into the basketball spirit, I found this cartoon. I thought maybe you... That may be too sacrilegious for some, I apologize. <laughs> but I saw it and I giggled. Well, um, Peter, you know, is this interesting character. You can take that down now, Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> this interesting character that we're studying. We're, of course, um, seeing the life and ministry of Jesus Christ and now the death and resurrection of Christ through the eyes of the disciple Peter. Peter is an interesting character. Peter, the one on whom uh, Jesus proclaimed he would build his church. Peter, Petra, the rock, right? And then, of course, the same Peter, the disciple that many of us can relate to because Peter is oh so human. Peter doesn't always do all the right things. He certainly doesn't say all the right things. He puts his foot in his mouth often. He's not always the most politically correct person. That's the Peter that we know and love as well. And yet Jesus chooses Peter. Jesus loves Peter and does indeed build his church with Peter despite Peter's many flaws and mistakes. The last time we saw Peter, again the Tuesday before the break, Forrest preached on this text that I think most of us are familiar with when Jesus uh, or Peter denies Jesus three times, just as Jesus had predicted. The last time Jesus and Peter were together was the night that Jesus was arrested. And you may remember that that night, Peter, in only the way Peter can, swore to Jesus that he would not betray him. Swore to Jesus that, Jesus, that Peter would stand by Jesus' side to the very end. But of course, we know that when questioned by bystanders during Jesus' trial, Peter vehemently denied and rejected Jesus in all likelihood because Peter was afraid for his own safety. In an instant, Peter went from boasting about sticking with Jesus to the end to being a coward, to being a coward who breaks promises. It was undoubtedly the lowest moment in Peter's life. But that event occurred before Good Friday. 
And before that dark, lonely Saturday, and before Easter Sunday and the resurrection. And so today we flip the chapter, and I mean we flip it song and verse, because Easter has happened now. And now we see the opportunity that Jesus has to restore Peter and Peter's personhood, faith, and ministry. I can relate to Peter. I really can. I don't know if you can. I'd like to think that if I were put in the same situation that I'd somehow rise to the occasion, that when push came to shove and in the face of real danger, I would claim my Lord and Savior, that I wouldn't abandon Jesus. But I confess to you this morning that I deny Christ often. Maybe even daily, I deny Christ. I deny Christ when my words and actions don't reflect the love and grace that Christ has shown me. I deny Christ when I allow my own selfish thoughts to drown out the needs of others around me. I deny Christ when I rebel against God's commandments, when I lie or when I gossip or when I hoard material possessions or when I dishonor my parents or when I provoke my children or my wife to anger. Sin is denial. And when we sin, we deny Christ. We are no better than Peter when we sin. I might like to think that I would have stood the test if I were put in Jesus or Peter's shoes, but I don't think I would have. I don't hold out a lot of hope that I would have made any different decision than Peter did that dark, scary night. But Peter's story, which is indeed our story, doesn't end there. We have hope through the grace and truth of Jesus by his death and resurrection that we're forgiven. Through grace, Jesus restores Peter, and he restores each of us. So let's read. Uh, we're going to skip to John. We were in Mark. We're going to skip to John because John has a little bit longer narrative about this restoration of Peter. So we're going to jump right in at verse 1. Thanks, Tyler. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples. This is, by the way, the third time that, that's recorded in Scripture, at least, that Jesus shows himself to the uh, disciples after his resurrection. They are at the Sea of Tiberias. In other words, they're at the Sea of Galilee. They've fled Jerusalem. Okay, So that gives you a little sense about what's going on right now in the lives of the disciples. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana of Galilee, the sons of Debedee, Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. I'm going to go fishing. Maybe that was cathartic. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. By the way, I've known a few fishermen in the day. They do not like instructions, particularly from people who are standing on the shore. But anyway, they cast it out and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. And that disciple whom Jesus loved, John, said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, because it's Peter. 
and he jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came into the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. Fishermen always measure their fish too, right? So exactly 153. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, notice here he does not call him Peter. Jesus confronts Peter with his sin. Jesus was not living into the new identity that Jesus had given him when he denied Christ. So Jesus reverts back to his old name. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. And a second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter felt hurt by this time because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, then feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go to wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. And after this, he said to him, follow me. Really interesting book-ended stories here. The very first sermon that Forrest preached this semester was Jesus calling Peter out of, a, out of a boat, saying, hey, come help me be fishers of men. Follow me. And here at the end, as Peter or Jesus restores Peter's ministry, you see the same thing. Jesus saying, follow me. How many of us have experienced extravagant, unexpected forgiveness? Extravagant, unexpected forgiveness. Unexpected, perhaps, in that we would have never predicted that someone would have offered it to us. And extravagant in that the forgiveness that was offered was at least as generous, as great as the offense. I was 24 years old. Julie and I were recently married. I was a young graduate student at Purdue University. And like many young graduate students, I was assigned as a TA, a teaching assistant, to a, a large section of principles of economics. And part of my job as a TA was that I was to meet with about 50 or so students of this larger section every Friday afternoon for what we called recitation. And at recitation, I would kind of go over the week's material and the difficult concepts, and the students would ask me questions. And at the end of our hour, I would administer a simple 10-question quiz. And that quiz, or the accumulation of those quizzes over time, would accumulate to be a non-trivial part of the semester grade in the class. I'm not sure exactly why I did it. I think it was in part because I was feeling a little bit more autonomous than I should have as a TA in the class. I wasn't really connecting my actions to uh, the way it might impact the larger class, that is those sections that didn't have me in my recitation period. But whenever I felt like the students were getting a little down or they were struggling, I would 
occasionally help them a little bit on their quiz. So they'd take the quiz, and if I felt like they needed a little boost, I'd say, you know, hey, let's work on number four together. And as a result, everybody in the section would get number four correct. Well, I did this maybe a couple of times during the semester, and I got a phone call after dinner one night. It was my, the professor who oversaw the classes, and he asked me a very simple question. He said, Beck, I've heard from some students in some other sections that you have been giving points to students in your section. Is that true? And again, I don't know why I did it, but I was probably scared. Uh, didn't know how to react. I was maybe a little embarrassed, maybe frightened for my job. But I said, no, I didn't do that. I don't know why they're saying that. He said, okay, thanks. Hung up the phone. I immediately looked at Julie, and I said, oh, my gosh, I just lied to my professor. I just bald-faced lied to my professor. What do I do? Julie and I prayed about it. <clears throat> And I called him back, maybe three or four minutes later. I said, John, I don't know why I did it, but I just lied to you. Yes, I've been helping out my students a little bit in their recitation periods. I uh, don't know why I did that either. Um, there was this kind of long pause on the other end of the line, and I remember John saying, well, thank you for calling me back, and thank you for telling me the truth. So I, it's, this is unfortunate. I don't know why you did it either, but we'll get through this. We'll figure this out. But thank you for owning up to this. I've never forgotten that. That was unexpected, gracious forgiveness. And it was, it was abundant. It, was, it, was, it, it, it's, it seemed more than I could have asked for. In the story that we've just read, Jesus provides Peter with the same kind of unexpected, extravagant forgiveness. Jesus offers Peter this forgiveness in this conversation that Jesus has with Peter that reflects the love and the incarnational ministry that Jesus has, reflects the friendship that Jesus shares with, with Peter. That Jesus asked Peter three times if he loved him is, of course, a reflection of the three times that Peter denies Christ. I love that Jesus does that. By expressing his love for Jesus three times, Peter's able to claim forgiveness in a way that seems whole and complete. And Jesus knows exactly what he's doing by asking Peter three times. Jesus is acknowledging Peter's sin, but not to rub his nose in it, but to show Jesus the depth and breadth of, to show Peter the depth and breadth of Jesus' love and forgiveness. There's very quickly four other small aspects of this story that I want to share with you this morning. The first is when we sin, despite our first instinct, we shouldn't hide from Jesus. We should run to Jesus. Or if we're Peter, we should put on some clothes and swim to Jesus. Our first instinct, I think, when we sin is to hide. We're embarrassed. Think of Adam and Eve in the garden We've disappointed our maker. We've disappointed the creator. We've disappointed the person who's given us so much. Our first instinct is to run and hide. That's a common response to sin. Maybe we're listening to that small voice in our head that says, oh, you've screwed up big this time. There's no way that God is going to forgive you this time around. I love this. When Peter realizes it's Jesus standing on the beach, he puts on his clothes, he jumps in. 
100 yards. Any swimmers in here? That's a long way. The other folks are left to bring in the net, but Peter swims to Jesus. He runs to Jesus. Friends, when we sin, let's run to Jesus. He's there waiting to restore us. Second, unconfessed sin in our lives is a barrier to being the person that God is calling us to be and a barrier to the ministries into which God is placing us. Jesus had big plans for Peter. Upon this rock I will build my church, Jesus proclaimed. But there's no way that Peter could have fulfilled that ministry without first being restored, without that relationship being restored. Friends, that's what happens when we receive forgiveness. We're once again reminded of God's unexpected and extravagant love. And then it's that unconditional love that flows through us by Jesus' spirit that equips us for ministry in the world. Third, we're called to be the hands and feet of Christ in a broken world. We are indeed blessed to be co-laborers with Christ as Christ redeems and reconciles the world to himself. As Jesus forgives Peter and as Peter regains his identity in Christ through forgiveness, Jesus reminds Peter that he does have a ministry to fulfill. Feed my sheep, tend to my flock, feed my people, attend to the ministries that I'm giving you here on this earth. We are forgiven in Christ. We claim our identities through Christ as adopted heirs of God's family. And God, by his mercy, generously places in our hands the ministries that he would have us tend to. But the only way, friends, that we can do that is if we understand our true identities in Christ, and that comes through forgiveness. And finally, as we take up our identities through the forgiveness that Christ offers, a forgiveness, of course, that we know is obtained through the cross, we too bear our own crosses. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Jesus doesn't promise Peter or us that our ministries are going to be easy or that our burdens are going to be light, or that we can avoid challenging circumstances. As Jesus restores and recommissions Peter to ministry, Jesus also reminds Peter that he too will face trial and tribulation. Jesus, as church tradition tells us, was crucified under Emperor Nero. And again, as church tradition teaches us, decided that he would uh, rather be crucified upside down, hanging upside down, so as not to um, be equated with Christ. This sobering reminder is one that we should be careful to remember. There is joy. There is fullness. There's abundance. There's meaning as we live for Jesus. But those are states of being that transcend the circumstances in our lives, which can often be wrought with trial and difficulty and persecution and ridicule, and in Peter's case, even death. Music team, come back on up. Jesus restores us to a relationship that is bigger than our own sin. Sin is serious, as Forrest reminded us, but God's grace is serious-er. <laughs> Jesus restores us to a relationship that prepares us for ministry. Jesus restores us so that we can withstand the complexities and even the setbacks of that ministry. And Jesus restores us to a relationship that's bigger than death. Because Jesus conquered death for us all. Amen? Friends, through the life, death, and resurrection and present reign of Jesus Christ, and through our faith in him, our sins are forgiven. You are restored. 
Now go and care for God's world. Amen.